and welcome to Midlife Athlete Podcast. And um, Greg, we've got a really interesting one today. I think we've talked about all sorts no. of measurements before, but we've certainly I'm, not I'm talked good. about I'm good. I'm very um, good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this today. one. Although, How are things? we have tried. We, we did speak to Stefan uh, over a year ago, but the recording was rubbish. Uh, so we're going for it again, and in the, so but we're going to have an update about because the, his his company and etc has moved on quite a bit. So I'm looking forward to hearing it all. Yeah, well, it was non-existent really the same. But anyway, so welcome, um, Stefan van der Flute, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Flowbio. Uh, which is a, uh, a kind of new startup. Um, some of you possibly may have heard about them, but they're really they do a really cool thing by measuring sweat. But we'll let Stefan tell us all about it. Welcome, Stefan. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's great, great to be on the show, and thanks for having me uh, a second time yeah, yeah. around. <laughs> no, it was an absolute pleasure. No, first time for first time for your community, I guess, given that they never really heard the uh, the first. So that, that'll that'll be our secret. What happened there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's a it's a fascinating topic. So tell us tell us what what fly by uh, fly ugh, can't get my words out. Flow bio. What does it do? Yes. So it, on a very high level, we are developing the next generation of wearables, which we're kind of dubbing the performance wearable. This is one of the fun things when you're creating a new category as a company. You also have to name that category. Um, and what our performance wearable does is we go one level deeper in terms of understanding the human body um, and the, the data that we're trying to understand or, or giving uh, to our consumer, the athlete, is biomolecular data. Um, and the way we do that is through a proprietary uh, hardware device called the Flow Patch, which essentially captures sweat off the skin surface in real time um, and then quantifies the biomolecular data within sweat starting with um, fluid loss and electrolyte loss, specifically sodium being the biggest electrolyte of importance um, on your performance. And uh, that we do all in real time, non-invasively, so there's no needles. Uh, it's essentially a sticker, uh, which then has a bit of electronics, which clicks on top, uh, the sticker being single use with the sensor, which we call the SUS, and then the bit on top which you stick on is the shell which contains all the electronics and kind of reusable components like the, the rechargeable battery and such um and yeah that whole system gives you the athlete a data-driven approach to hydration and do you um as an athlete would you get that through on your um let's say your bike computer or, or whatever so you could actually see what your fluid loss was in real time uh yes so we're actually currently um in conversations under NDA with all of the big players like Wahoo, uh, Garmin, Polar, et cetera. So the, the idea is, yeah, right now you get it retrospectively. So you get the data onto your phone. Um, so we're kind of focusing on recovery for now. So how to replace what was lost. Um, so that if you have a, you know, a PM session later that day, you're going into that session properly hydrated and executing that session, uh, to your you know, best of your abilities from a hydration standpoint. Um, but yeah, in, in the lab already, we have a, well, the device is already real time. So we're capturing data every three seconds, I believe. Um, and that's currently being stored in three second intervals, which will visualize on watch faces and head units um, in the, the, the near future for our beta athletes. So we're currently in, in a closed beta. Um, so there are people right now in the wild, um, you know, the Brownlee brothers, Harry Palmer, 
um, a yet-to-be-announced very big World Tour cycling team. Um, so we're, we're kind of focusing on, on them. And, and yeah, one of the main feedbacks has been, and we kind of knew this going in, we just didn't want to uh, do too many things too soon. But yeah, everyone wants to see it in real time via um, BLE or ANT Plus. So yeah, the, the device supports it. The software is currently being worked on as we speak. And so without your, um, your technology, how would you normally measure your, your sweat or measure your fluid loss as well? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's three ways, kind of from lo-fi to, to, to high-spec. Lo-fi is, well, I guess lo-fi, you have two ways lo-fi. You can either um, observe the color of your pee, um, <laughs> which obviously, you know, you can only do if you're peeing. Um, <laughs> you know, unless you have some special abilities that I know nothing about, but yeah, so you can observe the color of your urine and based on the gradient of like how light to how, uh, kind of yellow slash almost Brown or dark, dark orange, um, that kind of gives you some indication of, you know, theoretically how hydrated you are now, again, urine is also a waste product. So depending on what you've eaten, or, you know, if you consume alcohol or drugs or whatever, your urine's also going to have a discoloration regardless of your dehydration or your hydration status. But yeah, urine is is one of them. Uh, another one is, or another lo-fi way is literally just like wearing black garments and observing how much salt residue is composited on your black garments. So how salty, uh, you know, you have like tracks of, of salt on your, um, on your skin suit or on your lycra. Um, or on your running shorts or whatnot. Um, so that's kind of the lo-fi methods. Then you, you know, and also, you know, third lo-fi, I guess, is you can lick your sweat. Um, which honestly, it sounds stupid, but this is something that I do today, not because I feel like licking my sweat, but more out of curiosity to understand my heat adaptation, just to confirm it, you know, curious minds need to know. Um, but the saltier your sweat, obviously the more sodium you're losing through your sweat. And what's interesting is now that I recently moved to Texas, my body has acclimated to the heat here, um, which means that my sweat is actually less salty, uh, during was, the, um, kind of gonna, the warmer I was, months. I was gonna uh, say I, I've already started to lose that heat acclimation. Sorry to interrupt, Stefan, but I was going to say that the, the, the body can adapt and it, and it realizes how it should, it, it doesn't lose as much sodium and, and and electrolytes um just 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 through adaptation but i was wondering how long that takes do we know the timelines that that, that, that the body needs for that to, to happen yeah and this this is actually a really yeah this is actually a, this this is a really good point um you know now we're going off a bit of tangent i'll come back to like the higher five ways or or the, the higher spec ways of getting your sweat but just on this point yes the and this is actually one of the really cool use case this was actually one of the first commercial use cases of the flow patch and it was actually by the brownlee brothers so a gentleman called nigel um who used to be the head of performance nutrition at ef pro cycling uh, left EF um, and is now kind of consulting for for a handful of elite athletes, one of which being the Brownlee brothers. And we worked together in the run-up to Tokyo uh, to essentially help Nigel understand um, how the Brownlees were responding to his prescribed heat training protocol. And it's it's really really fascinating because yes the the body you know it's the body if you just think of it like pure from an engineering standpoint the body is a machine. Um, but the beauty of this machine is it adapts to the environments it's subject to. 
So we are all able, you know, the, the whole, the whole purpose of the human body is, is homeostasis. Like you, you want to remain, um, in a, a homeostatic state. So if you're, um, in a very hot environment, you know, the reason we sweat, the, the, the kind of physiological response to overheating is we sweat. It's, it's purely to thermoregulate our core body temperature and to keep our core body temperature, um, within certain ranges that we don't overheat or under, uh, under cool. Um, and in the process of, of sweating, you're essentially dissipating water. Now that water will come from, uh, intracellular and extracellular fluid levels. You know, the reason why sweat is such a cool source of data is because if you look at the, uh, you know, how, how water leaves blood, it's, it's through blood plasma, then, then, then sweat, which goes out of the sweat gland, i.e. sweat is kind of a heavily diluted proxy for blood. Um, and the reason why, as you start to dehydrate, the same effort starts to feel harder. It's because your blood the water out of your blood is being drawn out. So your blood is getting thicker. So your heart is working harder to circulate um, the blood around your system, meaning you're depleting your glycogen storage is quicker. So there's a whole cascading series of events, which, you know, end up to kind of pretty unfortunate circumstances. And, you know, we, we, we saw that or last weekend I did the London marathon and there were a bunch of people, you know, probably five, 10 K out, some even closer collapsed from from heat stress because uh, it was a much hotter day than, than we thought it was going to be you know you start in the morning where it's pretty cold so you kind of you dress for the cold but then you have to run in the hot um, so so yeah long story short the the body essentially will acclimate to whatever environment you subject to the reason why in hotter environments or why athletes are now starting to do heat act is you know hashtag global warming um, all of us are starting to compete in hotter environments um, and essentially what, what that means is, is athletes are starting to have to really consider how they respond to this and how they train according. Um, so the majority of the elite athletes now all incorporate not only altitude training, but also heat training. Um, and the whole purpose of heat training is you're essentially exposing your body to conditions similar to race day. Um, and your body is essentially learning to deal with the heat. So in order for it to do the same effort and, and threshold and, and race pace, your body essentially over time, you'll notice your sweat rate will increase. So you start to lose a lot more water and your sodium composition or your sodium concentration will decrease. So your body gets a more efficient and effective at reabsorbing sodium before it leaves the system. Um, so that's why I was joking. My sweat is less salty here in Texas than it was in, in England because my body got better at reabsorbing. Uh, mm -hmm. However, my sweat rate was through the roof. You know, you'd come, you'd come home and it looked like you took a shower. Um, so, so yeah, it's honestly like the, the more, you know, I, before this I was in, I've always been a competitive athlete, have been for the last like six, seven seasons. But um, before this, I was in software. I was, I was always in tech, but never in hardware, not, not, not at all human performance. So I'm, I'm learning things every day and, you know, take it from me the body is, is such a beautiful system. Um, and I think there's a lot of excitement that we have internally around what we're building in terms of understanding this system and personalizing what you put into that system, uh, which we call the input performance loop. Um, and I think, yeah, there's, there's just a lot that we don't know, but we are starting to 
be able to quantify through different devices, including the flow pad. Well, um, that, now that being said, you know, we are not, we're not claiming to be a replacement for blood. I think what a lot of people get hyped up or a lot of people get skeptical of like, Oh, so you're, you're, you're considering sweat blood now. And like bl- blood is obsolete. That is absolutely not what we're saying. Uh, we're simply saying the flow patch is adding, it's an additional module in the performance system. It's an additional tool for practitioners and professionals and amateurs to further understand their body alongside still blood tests and whatever. Um, we're, we, we, we have zero ambition to replace blood. <laughs> and so that, I mean, that's a, that's a perfect lead on actually to if in time when, um, when some of our listeners may be able to get hold of these and, and are using them and wearing them, what are some of the sort of recommendations, if you like, that um, the data that you're collecting and analyzing will, will tell us as athletes? Yeah, so we're, we're measuring right now uh, three things, as mentioned earlier, um, to kind of give you this data-driven approach to hydration. So we're measuring your sweat rate, so the velocity at which your body is, is losing water uh, within a given hour. It's measured in, in liters per hour. Um, we're measuring your total body sodium losses in milligram per liter, and we're measuring your total body fluid losses in liters. Uh, you know, for the American listeners out there, in ounces. Um, so what that means is, you know, say say you're preparing for a session, or you're finished with the session, or you're in a session. We will start recommending you how much water to bring, how much water to consume, and how much water to replace. And the same for salt. Um, in terms of you know how 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 much how many liters and how many grams of salt do you need to take with you. Um, so yeah, it's it's essentially we're, we're creating a very prescribed way um, of of hydrating in the same way that you know if you're working with a nutritionist or dietitian now and you have to hit certain macros like X amount of grams and carbs, proteins and fats, X amount of calories in total. It's a very prescribed diet. We're essentially doing the same for water and salt, uh, which up till now has just not been possible um, nor feasible. Uh, and this kind of comes back to your original question: How do athletes do it today? So you got the low-fi ways, and then you have the the, the high-fi high ways or the high-spec ways, which are lab-based. So you go into a lab, um, you basically do a session in a simulated environment. Before that session, you weigh in your body weight nude. You weigh your bottles that you're intending to consume during that session. You do your session. Um, throughout that session, you're wearing what's called a tegaderm, which is a adhesive which, with kind of like a sponge, um, which essentially sponges up the sweat as you exercise. After that session, a lab technician takes that thing off of your uh, wrist, takes the sweat out of the sponge, puts that sweat onto a sensor, uh, typically called a Horiba Lacqua. If it's a higher-end uh, lab, it's a flame photometer. Um, they then get a millimolar uh, concentration reading. Uh, in order to get your fluid loss, you weigh out. So you you, you dry off. You then um, get on a scale nude, and you essentially m- measure the delta plus the fluid consumed. So you have to measure also your bottle weight after uh, to account for what was consumed. And then there's an equation which you use to essentially measure how much water was lost. There's an equation which you then use to scale up how much sodium uh, from a concentration standpoint, was then lost across your entire body. Um, you then put those two together, the the sodium and the fluid loss, and then you get your total body reading. Um, and that, you know, that's very manual. It's very time consuming and it's very expensive because you have to have a lab technician present at all times. Nope. And it's it's prone to human error. It's not because nope. um, you know if someone 
Not very practical either, really, is it? Sorry, go for it. <laughs> it's not very practical. Not very practical. I mean, you know, so to, to some of the super, like some of the super keen, you know, like Lionel Sanders, um, who has massive issues with with hydration, or Team Ineos, who are just data obsessed. They do do this. They do this in the field. Um, but but for them, one, they can because they have the means, and two, they need to because that's their career and that's their livelihood. Um, but yeah, not not very practical. I mean, you know, compare that with. You take a single-use sensor out of its packaging, you put the shell on, and you go. Yeah, yeah. And what sort of – you mentioned that you've, you've now got a couple of, um, I guess, pro – you call them pro athletes, I suppose, really, using it. Um, and I'm guessing you've probably had a play and, and, and maybe uh, you know some of your colleagues. Have, have you been – what are some of the surprising findings that, that, that has come out of the data – Ah, I, okay, my, my biggest surprise is how – how do I say this? How it doesn't fluctuate. Let's, it's, so it's not per se a fluctuation, but how, how much the, the, the readings change depending on the conditions you're doing it in, uh, the time of day or a year you're doing it in, you know, based on the temperature, the humidity, the, the airflow, whatever, the year based on the seasons. Um, and the exercise type and the intensity at which you're doing that exercise. So I've yet to have a session where my data is the same. And I've yet to have a session where I could like approximate, oh, this was an easy session for an hour. Cool. If I do a two-hour easy session, I just double that data. Well, no. Um, and I think that's, that's the coolest thing where, you know, if you compare that to glucose, one of the biggest feedbacks we've heard from Super Sapiens customers who use the, the Abbott uh, glucose monitor, the CGM, and then they put their software layer on, on top of it. What we've heard from, from Super Sapiens customers is, well, you know, after about 30 days, I kind of know my data. I know my response to like a gel or a banana or my typical foods, and I don't really deviate off my diet because as an athlete, you, you kind of don't. Um, and after 30 days, I had enough information to, to last me a lifetime. Um, and we were like, well, oh shit, what if, what if, you know, <laughs> what if we're the same? Because then, you know, the whole business model breaks. Um, and luckily for us and luckily for, for, for sweat, sweat, sodium and, and fluid losses, it's not, it's not that simple. Um, and it's actually super fascinating. And then on top of that, uh, what have we learned? Around 52% of athletes who are supposed to be consuming electrolytes don't even know what an electrolyte is in the sense of they, they don't know that they need it or they've been told that they shouldn't take additional salt in their diet. So the people who do use it are completely underusing it um, in, in the majority of cases, uh, specifically like longer sessions or harder sessions. Um, and the people who never experience cramps or whatever are just physiologically they 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 literally got like the the lottery ticket in the sense that they have and a low sweat rate and a low sodium composition. Um, so it's not that they have the perfect hydration strategy; it's that their bodies um, are just <laughs> fortunate for letting them get away with a shitty Stephane, hydration strategy. You know, and some of us aren't so lucky, myself included. And I think Lionel would probably put himself in that bucket, <laughs> based on uh, unfortunately what Sorry, happened in um, Kona Stephen, uh, on when Saturday. You, with the data and your ability to to be more accurate in terms of your hydration and electrolyte replacements, etc., have you seen a change in your performance? That's ultimately the, the key, isn't it?
that's ultimately the key. Um, I so because and you know this this sounds really daft, but it's just the, the the truth of the world we live in. We we ourselves have also had uh, issues with with supplies. So we had our manufacturer mess up the adhesive. So I haven't been able to use it on all of my sessions. But the 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 two weeks where I had continuous access to single use sensors because we've kind of prioritized um, our athletes over the internal team, and we prioritized the performance lab. Uh, over the internal team, just like using it um, during their own session. So I've, I've actually not used it that much, uh, believe it or not, because we've kind of prioritized like the Brownlees and the cycling teams, et cetera, having access. But when I did use it, yes, when I did longer sessions in Texas on Sunday and I was consciously drinking from a data-driven approach from the flow patch, yeah, my and I actually did a LinkedIn post on this. Um, I did the exact same bike at like the same temperature, so same time of day. It was one weekend to the next in Texas, which you know temperatures won't fluctuate that much. Um, same wind conditions. Um, actually, the course was different, so the second session was higher elevation or more elevation and longer duration. And I biked in the same time span. I think it was nine kilometers more in the same time span as a result of um, being properly hydrated, and it felt so much better. Like I was super fresh. Um, and this was like a four hour bike. So, you know, after a four hour bike in Texas heat to feel fresh, like I've never had that. But what's most importantly for me was what happened afterwards. Typically after my long rides, I feel absolutely shit probably three, four hours later. Um, and kind of throughout the rest of the day, it doesn't really get any better. So technically like, you know, my, my Sunday afternoon is somewhat of a write off. Um, that has been down to me just getting my hydration wrong. Now that I, after that session, I replaced what I lost, uh, 1.5 X, which is the ACSM guidelines, um, the American College of Sport um, Management. So they they kind of come up with all the, the research behind, uh, you know, nutrition, hydration, et cetera, supplementation. Um, and yeah, I I felt you know, I felt functional, um, which was which has been so such a long time uh, since I felt that way after like a four hour long ride. Um, and you know, I wasn't per se doing that for science. Like literally the first ride that I did to compare it to, I just got caught off guard. I was, you know, this was, I think my second long ride in Texas. I didn't really know the environment and I just didn't come across a gas station for three hours. Um, so I just couldn't refill my bottles. So I was like naturally very dehydrated. Um, and you know, the, the impact of that you could see in the data and, and that was just super, super cool. Um, but yeah, hundred percent from a performance standpoint during the session, as I mentioned, the perceived effort doesn't creep up. You're, uh, not eating into glycogen storages as much. So your, your energy availability is better. Um, and you know, you're, you're, you're not getting as hot, put it that way. Um, cause you're, you're able to kind of, you're, yeah, you're, you're dissipating your heat as you should be. Um, and you just feel, yeah, you feel a lot more fresh. I'd, I'd say that's just the easiest way to put it. It's not like I'm suddenly performing thirty percent more. Um, I'm just performing at can my you, can uh, you, um, optimum for uh, longer. Sorry, sorry, Stefan. Are, are, you, are you able to sort of divulge and, any of the information you got about the brownies? Were they in their acclimatization um, uh, process? <laughs> um. Uh, so I, so I just out of sensitivity to, to them, I cannot, however, what I, what I will say is it's more generalized. They have completely different sweat profiles, even though they're both extremely elite athletes, 
you know, genetically as similar as you get apart from being a twin, uh, given that they're, they're, they're related, uh, they're brothers, um, and they're similar ages, you know, they have completely different sweat profiles. And that was something that really surprised us. Cause you know, people are like, some, some people make jokes of, you know, let's, let's, let's compete on our sweat. Like I'll show you that I'm fitter. And it's like, guys, sweat doesn't work that way. It's, it is what it is. It doesn't mean that you're fitter or less fit. It's just what your body, uh, it's how your body's responding. Um, but an interesting fact, you can actually demonstrate fitness levels from sweat sodium concentration. So we have been doing testing at the lab where we've been doing uh, threshold sessions, um, followed by so you're basically doing um structured sessions like a you know 10 minutes on 10 minutes off and do that four times over and what we've seen is fitter people their sweat sodium drops down much quicker than a less fit person so we actually overlaid power to sodium and you could see a correlation between the power going up the sodium going up the power going down the sodium going down the rate at which it goes down happens quicker for someone more fit than someone less fit which is similar to heart rate. Why? You know, someone who's less fit, their heart rate, it will take longer for their heart rate to like return uh, to normal than for someone who's, who's a lot more fit. Um, and, you know, this is all, no one has ever seen this information. And that's something that's like, you, you have to pinch yourself every day. Literally a small startup in, you know, not the nicest part of London mm. is seeing data that we've never seen ever before. Um, and that's something I'm immensely proud of. That's something you know we we pulled off as a team of like ten with less than three million dollars in our in our pocket. Um, it's it's been a phenomenal ride so far, and I'm I'm, I'm super excited to see to see what more information and and what more understanding we have about well, the body so in the future. Stefan, uh, I mean, it probably no, no, goes. With... No, sorry, no, I, I was I was just thinking sorry, ahead in Greg, terms of you go? You know, something like. At, with athletes and something like the, the Qatar World Cup, I mean that's that is it seems like a ridiculous thing to hold to hold a, a World Cup in a in such a hot climate. But I'm I can see your, 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 your tech. yeah, but but your, but your tech <laughs> yeah. Let's I, not I, get I into the politics of FIFA. Very very useful. <laughs> Yes. So we agree. And, and so do some of the football teams, actually, who've reached out to us. Um, the unfortunate thing is, one, we just don't have enough supply. And two, we're, 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 we're in beta. So, you know, I, I think to, to put Flow Bio on, like, literally one of the biggest world stages for, for live sports, to put it there after being live only for two months, I think would be a massive tactical mistake on our part. But yeah, you know, we've had we've had interest from the world's best, most decorated um, football team, national football team in the world, um, and they reached out to us. So we know that there's interest. Um, we just aren't comfortable yet putting the flow patch in that kind of an environment. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, if FIFA keep doing what they do best, then hopefully there will be more warm World Cups. Stefan, we and you, you've alluded to some of this, but I think and Greg and I have probably seen these. You've probably seen them as well yourself. If you're if you're out riding or, or, or running or whatever it might be, doing exercise, we've all seen the person who sort of really doesn't drink enough, um, 
and that's just visibly not not drinking. And I I remember uh, working with some um, junior cyclists. You'd almost have to put a little note on their stem um, to remind them to drink. That they'd finish a race, and essentially they'd have what was almost a full bottle. What are some of the effects of of being poorly dehydrated? Um, when you're in that sort of, um, I call it performance, but you know, doing doing sports and exercise. Yeah. So, well, we we had, we had a wonderful slide. I'm just going to see if I could pull it up. Um, which basically it was like, yeah, as I mentioned, that that series of cascading events. Um, but essentially, so as as you start to kind of dehydrate. Um, a multitude of, of, of things take place. So initially you, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of doing two things as I, as I talk, um, cause it's just so well summarized. Uh, here we go. I love Apple's M2 chip. It's just super fast. <laughs> okay. So essentially the, the whole, the whole saying is like, you know, 2% like dehydrated state. So you're losing 2% of, of, you know, your, your, your body's, uh, mass in, in fluid. Uh, can result in like a 20% or more loss in performance. And this is also, you know, take that with a pinch of salt, you know, pardon the pun. There is no baseline for you. You cannot just do a grand sweeping statement, you know, for the interest of like a slide deck. Yeah, you can, because like shit, otherwise you're, you're having to write a ton, but there is no grand sweeping 2% for everyone equals 20% loss in performance for everyone. You know, some athletes are absolutely fine at 4% dehydrated. Some are absolutely horrible already at like, you know, one or 0.5%. Uh, it really just depends. And this is, this is the beauty and the need for having a device like the flow patch so that you can actually hone in and dial in on that because, you know, just, just hear me out, but there's actually a benefit in being dehydrated, uh, for athletes. Um, it's, it's that you're, you're, you're lighter, right? So, you know, your Watts per kilo, um, is, is better. Um, the, the thing is how far can you push that? So how, how much on the edge can you be where you can be dehydrated, but it's not impacting your performance. How cool would it be if I could go out on a run and, you know, on, on a, um, an Ironman and at the bike uh, leg, um, you know, drink enough so that come run, I'm light, as light as I can be with the fatigue that's in my legs. I'm as light as I can be to perform at my best um, without having a detrimental impact on my performance throughout the run. Um, wouldn't that be awesome? Now, obviously, you wouldn't do that on training day because you don't need to. You know, don't be a hero when you don't have to be. Um, but it's it's giving you that level of precision and accuracy to start dialing in uh, your strategies based on the the context of the situation. Um, but you know, by the by, two percent dehydration, twenty percent loss in performance. So what happens as your body heat rises? You start to get a drop in your power and your pace, depending on the sport that you're doing. Um, as water then leaves the body, the body, you know, through as I mentioned earlier, the, the the fluid leaving your blood, your blood then thickens, decreasing your heart efficiency. Uh, this increased uh, depletion or this increased energy required to circulate then results in depletion of glycogen much quicker than it normally would if you're in a hydrated state. Um, if you start to go really south, so if you start to completely ignore your body, you completely ignore your thirst responses, which typically are already delayed. But you know, even then. Then you start to get impaired cognitive and psychomotor performance. So this is why you'll notice a lot of heat stress athletes um, or athletes who are dehydrated either 
too much water or too little water. And this is the thing with dehydration. It's not, you know, we've spoken to investors who are like, ah, cool. Well, then just drink more water and drink more salt. And like, you're golden. Why, why, why spend, you know, $530? It's like, well, it's not that simple because if you drink more water, you're diluting your sweat sodium or you're diluting your, your sodium. So you're messing with the electrochemical balance in your system. And actually, fun fact, most athletes who cross the finish line and are, you know, their health is at risk. It's not because they don't have enough water. It's because they drank too much water. So they've completely diluted uh, their sodium balance in their in their system, um, which kind of makes sense. You know, if you're scared of something, you kind of do something a bit more, right? So if you're scared of dehydration, you drink more water um, and you drink more than you think you need to kind of be extra safe. But the issue is that actually is worse. Um, and that can have really, really, really uh, bad effects if if you do that. And actually, most athletes, I think two or three a year, do die of dehydration, mostly because they uh, drink too much water on the course. Um, but yeah, you know, impaired cognitive and psychomotor performance, that's not great if you're going 50 kilometers um, per hour, or you know, in this case, probably 80 kilometers per hour down uh, a mountain on a bike, or if you're driving a car at, you know, Two three hundred kilometers per hour. Um, so there's there's just a whole host of, of reasons why you do not want to be dehydrated. One from a performance angle, but two from just like a, a quality of or, or loss of life standpoint. Um, and then yeah, if you get it really really long, you know, severe dehydration will result in hospitalization, where they're going to have to put you on an IV drip. Um, and you know who who wants that? Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the, the cascading series of events. Um, if you don't, if you aren't mindful of your, your hydration, um, yeah. Now, you know, this being said, and I don't want to like come across as like a fear monger of like, everything's going to end if you don't hydrate properly. The majority of us as human beings, you know, we're okay. Like it, the, 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 the dietary guidelines, you know, the don't have additional salt in your diet you know, drink X amount of water. I think it's usually like what, 2.5 liters of water, three liters of water for a, um, a male adult, just less ever so slightly less for, for female. Again, you know, broad strokes because it, that depends on age, on weight, on height, et cetera. But, you know, broad strokes. Um, those are fine to follow. And, you know, most people are okay following them. Um, the issue is as soon as you become an active individual, that's when those guidelines go right out the window. Um, so one thing, and I, I can share this because he is on our on our team, Tim Don. So Tim Don has been using the Flow Patch because he's one of our, uh, our our senior advisors at FlowBio. Um, and we went out for an easy ride um, when we were in Malibu for the Super League, uh, and you know it was really interesting. Like I was biking with him, observing him, and you couldn't see him sweating at all. So you're like, okay, this is gonna be really interesting to see his data. Well, he did lose a decent amount of sweat. Um, let me just pull it up. I can actually see what it was. Let me just pull up my chat with him, Tim. Okay, Tim Don. Here we go. So he lost um, on an easy bike where I didn't see any water uh, being lost. He lost 2.7 liters, right? Like he was not dripping at all. Two point seven liters—that's a lot of water. That's essentially the the the, the, the entire day's worth of of of, um, of water. That's it. that's crazy, right? So he lost two point seven liters, and he lost one gram, one point zero two three grams of salt. Now put that in perspective. He lost one gram of salt in the space of I think we were out for two and a half hours. Um, 
the entire day's worth of salt, according to the FDA, which in the United States sets the, um, the, the guidelines for what you should eat, is 2.5 grams. So he essentially lost just under half of his entire day's worth of salt in less than, you know, in just over 10% of the day. Wow. And what, what effects were, because, you know, if you took that as a proxy for probably, you know, most of us um, <clears throat> athletes and midlife athletes, what effects does that have if you, you know, if you're going out day after day doing, even if it's zone two stuff, by the looks of it, you're losing a significant amount of liquid and salt. Um, yeah. What's the, what's the accumulative effect of that? Have you, have you sort of done any research into that? Well, so the cumulative effect, well, so the cumulative effect of like too much salt, for example, is eventually that, that, that will have implications for your, your cardiovascular health. Um, you know, the implications of like chronic dehydration aren't great either, right? It's, it's more like lifestyle in the sense that you're, you're feeling fatigued all the time. You're bloated, you're headachey, you're moody. Um, you know, the reason why we have headaches, well, one of the reasons why you have headaches as, as a, if you're, if you're dehydrated is the, I think the human brain is like 80% water. Well, you know, if you're talking about drawing water out to dissipate heat, you're also drawing that out of, of the water, uh, that's surrounding the brain. Um, that's why you get headaches too. So, you know, there, there's a quality of life aspect that if you're chronically dehydrated, and I can testify this when I was a kid in California, I, and I, I was not an active kid in California. You know, I was part of that population that like should stick to the, the or, or the, where the guidelines should be sufficient. Um, I went home, I think it was minimum of two times a week for about two years, every single school week. And I, you know, we, we were close to Stanford. So we went to the Stanford Children's Hospital, like some of the world's best doctors were just poking at prodding me, trying to figure out why I was going home sick, like throwing up, um, just like white, lost all of my color. You know, it was, it was some scary, scary stuff. And eventually one doctor, you know, I think like a really, really good example of, you know, anyone should think like a designer. So one doctor took a step back and was like, before I do anything, I just want to understand your son's day. What does he eat? What does he drink? Walk me through that. And you know, in a 10 minute conversation, they found out, shit, your son's literally not drinking enough water for, for being a, uh, an adolescent child in California, um, drink more water. And then it went all the way. So, you know, what are the implications? Those are the implications like quality of life can be pretty bad if you're chronically dehydrated. Um, so, so yeah, let alone the athletic performance, you know, the loss in, 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 um, power, the loss in, in pace, the increased depletion of your glycogen, i.e. you have less energy available to your system to perform in like zone three to five. Um, let alone that, just like, you know, once you're off the bike, once your trainers are, are off and in the closet, you still have to be a functioning adult, right? You still have responsibilities as a parent, as a, a colleague, as a partner. Um, that to me is, is the bigger uh, kind of story here. Mm. And that's kind of one of my personal motivations for, for building this company in the first place. It's just like, you know, before the flow patch. Yeah. I, that's something that I'm, I'm, I've always been struggling with. It's just like, at the end of the day, you just kind of hope that you're feeling good enough for your, for your afternoon session. Um, and it had nothing to do with my, my food intake. Um, you know, cause there was a time where, you know, I, I was calorie counting and I could, I could guarantee you it had nothing to do with my food intake and I was still feeling shitty. 
Um, and it was because I was dehydrated. Um, and that's like, you know, another interesting thing. Most people after lunch, they feel lethargic and kind of tired and like a bit bloated. They're like, oh, wow, I had way too much for lunch. Maybe, but mostly it's actually, you might probably not have drunk enough since you woke up. That's, that's yeah, it's fascinating. So what, I mean, you alluded to it there, but what, what, what was the sort of impetus behind starting it, starting Flobo? Yeah, well, so I, I can speak from from myself. My co-founder, he has his own really, really awesome kind of motivation. But for for myself, I, well, you know, I'm gonna get really personal very quickly. I grew up quite unhealthy. Uh, you know, part of that was I grew up in California, as, as I mentioned earlier. Um, my parents, being Dutch, very, very grounded people, uh, very successful, but very grounded. So you know, for lunch. Uh, they were like, why would I give you hot lunch at school when I can make you a perfectly good sandwich? And I know exactly what's in that sandwich. Um, so I was the, I was that kid that had the boring packed lunch uh, and I didn't want to be that kid. Um, so I came up with stories every single day. I swear to God, the lunch lady probably after two weeks was like, <laughs> man, this poor kid has like the worst parents. I'm just going to give him his hot lunch and, you know, make him think like he uh, hustled it. Um, but yeah, I basically came up with a story for years to the lunch lady of like why I forgot my lunch card. It was lost or whatever. Um, so for many, many years I was having two lunches and an American hot lunch is not a healthy lunch. It's like super, super processed foods, you know, a sugar cookie for dessert, um, like a soda or, or a heavily sugared like lemonade. Um, so it's just not a healthy lunch. Now what happened is we moved to Europe where the body composition of most adolescent kids is very different to the body composition of a American child. So I was basically a massive, not so needle in a haystack. Um, and I was bullied for, for years and years and years. And that had, you know, still to this day, I'm probably dealing with like the, the implication of, of that, but I decided to do something about it around the age of 12, 13, went on a diet. Uh, my mom was very encouraging. She was like, look, Stefan, this is clearly upsetting you to the point where like, you're just a different person as a result of it. You know, I'm always looking at diets. Why don't you join me on the next one? Um, so I did, it was Atkins, you know, probably the worst thing I did for my mental health because then I associated carbohydrates as the enemy, which is a whole other story. Um, but you know, the, I, I, I lost a ton of weight to the point where my teachers were kind of concerned because I lost a lot of weight in a very short amount of time. Um, and the byproduct of that weight loss, the byproduct of the original reason why I did it was just to get the target off my back was I, I, I like, I changed as a person. I fundamentally changed. Like I became so much more happy, so much more energetic, so much more fun to be around, so much more social. Um, I just felt better. And I realized my body could do more. Like I enjoyed football. I enjoyed sports. Um, I started to dive deeper into the world of sports. I got into running. I could get into running now because it wouldn't hurt. Like my knees weren't always in pain. Um, and, you know, I got into running because my, my father was always traveling. Sundays were kind of his long run days. So it was like the only time in the entire week where I could have my time with my father uh, away from the family uh, and just like run through the dunes. Um, so I found sport and then I went into the rabbit hole and I've never looked back. Uh, and as a process of that, as an athlete, you know, someone who's type A, you, you're never satisfied. You're always looking for more. You're always looking to optimize. So I started 
as, as, as I kind of became a more competitive triathlete after I won the age group um, national champs in, in Maastricht, Ironman Maastricht, I did that uncoached. I was like, oh shit, well, if I did this uncoached, you know, un- no professional guidance, like imagine what, what I could do if I had a professional around me, if I had a, a support staff around me. Um, if I knew a bit more about like what impacts performance. So I, I just started researching a ton of uh, papers. I had no business reading uh, around human performance, physiology. There was a time where I considered actually going back to university and doing a sports science degree. Um, but my parents were like, man, you were a shitty student when you were a student. Like, why go back? Um, so I didn't, you know, in the end, hindsight is 2020, probably the better thing to do that I didn't do that. Uh, but, you know, nonetheless, my curiosity didn't stop there. Um, I just wasn't, you know, as educated to, to interpret the, the research, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I just had this massive fascination for human performance. And then, um, it kind of coincided with the time that I was quite un- unhappy with my career. You know, I'd been an entrepreneur for the first half of my career. I was now working for other people on other products I really couldn't care about. Um, and that got to me, you know, I'm, I'm a very passionate person, if you couldn't tell. And I just wasn't getting or deriving that passion from my work. So I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go back into being a founder and I want to do something that I love. I want to combine my passion with my, my, my profession um, and explore human performance and actually make, make a, 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 some kind of technical solution to human performance. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how we landed on, on, on the space, the problem space that is human performance, consumer. And then Giovanni and I kind of riffed on a couple ideas. It was actually Giovanni who came to me. Um, we were in a program called Entrepreneur First. So we were kind of like, brainstorming a host of ideas and he was the one who came with the idea of actually considering sweat as a source of data um and we've we've never looked back since you know we've we've had our ups and downs we we always will it's just like you know startup life um but i i would not want to be on this journey with anyone else but but him and now you know the rest of the team is is phenomenal like i every single time i go to the 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 office in london because we now have two uh us and 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 london I just consider myself incredibly fortunate to be surrounded by such amazing uh, people um, who like, you know, I respect competition. I think any competitor is, is brave for stepping into the space of hardware. I, um, you know, love competition. I am a competitive person, um, but like, you know, God have mercy on their soul when they're up to uh, against this team. <laughs> and you mentioned when we last spoke that we, we we talked about sweat and the importance of that. But looking sort of way further down the line, um, that there may be some other little um, interest in data metrics that uh, you might consider. Do you want to uh, sort of tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah. So. Then this is more on the roadmap side, you know, so we're, we're still undecided about glucose. So yeah, everyone raves about glucose. Yes, you can get glucose from sweat. We're undecided about how useful it actually is. You know, unless you have a metabolic condition where your body isn't so good at regulating its glucose levels, like there's no research yet to prove that understanding your glucose in real time has performance benefits. Um, so we're, we're still on the fence of glucose. We're actually more interested in, you know, other indicators like cortisol or lactate, um, or inflammation markers to help athletes understand like training readiness to have a better understanding of like training readiness and recovery, et cetera. Um, so those are things that we're exploring, but also just like further advanced hydration. Um, you know, some of the data side of things, so how you can make personalized hydration solutions off, off of your data, how you can help hydration companies 
um, kind of deliver better experiences overall. Uh, there's a whole host of, of, of stuff that we're looking at. I think, you know, we're always having this conversation internally, like when should we invest in the next sensor? I think it would be a bit foolish to launch another uh, analyte so soon after launching your first, because, you know, people are only just getting used to or accustomed to the idea or the notion of biomolecular data in the first place. So the last thing you want to do is overwhelm them with more. Um, and you know, the way we do things or our philosophy at flow bio, when we do things, we don't, we don't care about being first. Honestly, I think being first is a vanity metric that too many companies optimize towards. I don't give a shit about being first to market. I want to be the best and last to market. IE, when we go to market, we do it so well that no one can go to market after us because we've basically done it and there's no opportunity left. Um, and that's, that's how we kind of design and approach our, our product roadmap. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at a whole host of things, um, but we haven't made our move on any one of them apart from uh, the first, which is advanced hydration um, or just wider hydration, which is what we're doing today. And, uh, I mean, you mentioned it's obviously still in beta. When do you anticipate that the likes of us mere mortals, the Gregs and me of the world, will be able to... Um, <laughs> Sort of well, get our hands for on you them. guys, you are no longer mere mortal. You, you're no longer mere mortal. <laughs> from the flow bio, so you guys, you, you guys sooner than the rest of the world. Um, but no. So in all seriousness, we're launching next year, this around this time next year. Um, again, we're going to do we're going to do very responsible rollout. So we we don't want to do things wrong, and we don't want to do things rushed. Like our intention is to be a, a globally relevant company for athletes. You know, in 30 years time for now. So we don't want to like do things that we can't handle or we don't feel like we can handle just for the sake of hitting a number. So batch one, which will go live around this time next year, is going to be limited to, to 500 people. So um, we're currently taking reservations for those first 500. And then batch two, which will drop uh, kind of mid to late 2024, um, will probably be a couple thousand uh, in, in volumes. So, so yeah. It's we're, we're, we're slow and steady growth because we really want to focus on the athlete experience and adding value to the athlete and building the best thing we can possibly build so that no one has a chance to build something after us. Um, that's, that's really our approach. Um, but yeah, the first hundred athletes they they, they, they bought their devices well, well back. Um, so they're kind of some of our early adopters. So they're, they're starting to get their devices as we speak kind of in a, in a phased rollout. Um, and then we'll be in that kind of closed beta state up until this time next year, where we then expand by that 500 of batch one. So, yeah, I mean, if you're interested, we've got a website live where you can kind of put your name in the hat uh, to, to, to stay in, in tune with, with when we, we open the um, or, or announce kind of publicly the, the reservation page, uh, which will be, if all things go well, just based on timing, either this uh, coming week or the week after. Um, so then hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll see a lot of orders come in where those 500 devices will be claimed pretty quickly. Um, if, if it's, you know, if, if our last batch of a hundred was anything to go by, it should go pretty quick. I think I, I think I put my name down for the first hundred, I think. So maybe I can, I think, I think you did. I think yeah. I, did. I think you actually bought it. I did. Um, I did. So yeah. I, yeah. So you're, so you're getting it soon. I'm, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited about opening the package and get, getting, trying it and I'll, I'll have feedback to listeners. Um, I should say for for listeners actually ch check out um, Flow Bio the website as, as Stefan said, but also try and hook up with Stefan on social media because he does post some some really interesting stuff um, that uh, 
that is super fascinating. So um, definitely worthwhile looking out for some of those posts, which are which are great, uh, really good. Um, so Stefan, it's been great to have you back on. Um, I'm so pleased that we've able to get you back on after the disaster of the first uh, recording session it's been it's great to hear the progress of of, of the company and and uh, where you're going with it um and uh, yeah looking forward to uh, seeing seeing that progress i can see a time when i'm watching the tour de france and the riders are not looking at their power but they're <laughs> looking at their their flow bio readings and um seeing what their dehydration levels are like or the DS. i mean uh, between us yeah that'd be interesting yeah between us watch this space it might might happen sooner than you know it <laughs> well that'd be super exciting really interesting um it's been great having you on thank you thank you very much for your time really appreciate you're a busy guy um and um all the best with uh not with, at all, with the not at all. you forward. guys you guys are doing something phenomenal with this podcast so I'm, I'm i'm super yeah i'm super humbled to be uh to be one of the 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 storytellers or one of the people that can share their stories on 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 what you guys have built so no thank you for having us you know and and again if this audio recording (laughs) goes uh goes haywire third time's the charm (laughs) i've got my fingers crossed that this one would be fine i know knock on wood good luck yeah yeah cheers stefan thank you cheers bye cheers guys enjoy the rest of your evenings and uh, speak soon Mm.